this week on Forward. The current generation of leaders have got to be replaced with next generation leaders who understand what's coming, who have a different worldview, different competencies, and most of all, are ready to work together to solve problems, stop fighting each other, and start fighting for each other. That's my agenda. I, I don't understand how it is possible that the Democratic Party would literally suppress millions of Democratic voters. And I think it's not just hypocritical, it's just downright dangerous, downright foolish, and frankly, inexcusable. It is my pleasure to welcome to the podcast three-term member of Congress, former CEO of Talenti Gelato, Democratic presidential candidate, Congressman Dean Phillips joining us today. Welcome, Dean. Hey, Andrew. Great to be with you, my friend. You are beaming in from New Hampshire. Is that right? How are things going? I'm literally beaming because it is the most amazing, joyful, inspirational, reinvigorating month of my life. It's going great. You know, there's a a massive, as you well know, a massive disconnect between Washington and the real world. And people here in the Granite State are amazing, uh, ready for change, completely disenchanted with what they're seeing on both ballots right now. And I'm excited about January 23rd. It's, I think it's going to be a real surprise. Yeah. So you and I have known each other uh, for uh, about a year or so. Uh, mm -hmm. We met in D.C. when you were a member and uh, I liked you immediately because we were at a campaign finance reform event and yep. you said, hey, D.C. is even worse than I thought. I'm the only member who doesn't dial for dollars. Mm -hmm. uh, I thought I was kind of here to legislate and uh, do something good. And, uh, and I heard this and I said, wow, uh, <laughs> like more of America should hear about mm -hmm. this guy. Uh, and, and then you made headlines where you said what you actually thought, which was, hey, uh, maybe candidates other than Joe Biden should consider running, um, not because Joe Biden is not a good person, um, but he may not be the best candidate um, to field. And then you got a tremendous amount of blowback from that. At least that was the sense I, I got from the outside looking <laughs> that's a, in. That's a fair, that's a fair, that's a good sense you got. <laughs> and I'd imagine that that must have been sort of bewildering for you because people were saying the exact same thing as you were saying in private. They were yeah. thinking the same thing. And then you said something that, in my mind, was fairly conventional wisdom. And all of a sudden, it was like this headline making, oh, like Dean is um, somehow sticking a, a black eye on the party or something. And <laughs> was, was, that the, um, was that the experience from your side? Well, first of all, you know, Andrew, for, I, let, me, let me compliment you. You know, when over the last year, as we've gotten to know each other, you know, I had some perspective from the inside of... Congress and the inside of Washington. And you had had this experience running for president from the outside. And I'm discovering uh, what you did last time around. And I shared with you what I discovered uh, from the inside. You know, both have significant deficiencies that need to be addressed. And I'll tell you, the disease that is afflicting both is a disease of silence uh, and a disease of fear uh, and a lack of courage. And what you just said is, People say one thing privately and they say something totally different publicly, which is why I think only 10% of Americans have uh, significant faith in their Congress and it makes perfect sense. So that's the disease. I used to think it was only a disease of the right. Uh, when Donald Trump was president, my Republican colleagues would say the same thing every day quietly. 
he's appalling, he's dangerous, uh, his character is, is horrifying. And then they get in front of the cameras and lights and say that he was the greatest thing since sliced bread. And then I started hearing the same stuff on my side, people having conversations about President Biden's deficiencies, uh, the decline, the numbers, the fear that he's going to lose, uh, and now almost the certainty that he's going to lose. And yet when they get in front of cameras and in public, say something totally different. And I think that is the most dangerous affront to democracy when people in elected positions trying to represent people ostensibly say something different than they feel. And I'll tell you, when 70 some percent of the country wants neither Joe Biden nor Donald Trump to be the next president, and only one member of Congress out of 535 really stood up and said it, which is me, we got problems. And I torpedoed my career, but my goodness, I do it a thousand times over because this is a big deal. It's existential. Yeah, it, it was a high character move on your part, uh, man. It, it's something that too few of our political figures are willing to do. Um, you know, I had some advantages in that, you know, I, I wasn't an elected official anyway. <laughs> but in your case, I mean, you, you had reached what for many people is the pinnacle. Um, you ran a race in a very competitive, even red-leaning district that hadn't been represented by a Democrat um, for decades uh, before you got there. And then you wound up surprising everyone and winning. Um, but in your last race, you won by double digits because people like you, <laughs> you know, like a reasonable man, you get things done. Uh, and, and so you had that position sewn up if you wanted it. Uh, I mean, we all know, like you have a 94% reelect rate for incumbent members. As long as you were the good uh, party lo loyalist, you could have just hung out there forever. <laughs> but, 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 then, but then like most people do. Yeah, like most people do. Um, but uh, one thing I really like about you is that you're not someone for whom this is uh, a job that's, mm -hmm. um, frankly, a better job than other jobs you could have or other jobs you've already had. <laughs> you know, this is actually a service job. But you went through a process yourself where you said, look, and I saw some of the headlines. It was entertaining to me, honestly, um, where, where you went through this process and said, I may not be the best situated to run for president, I think I would be a fine president, which by the way, I agree with you. Knowing you, you're a high character, a high integrity person with uh, real values and real judgment and you would make uh, a great president. But you were humble enough to say, look, I might not be well situated to run, um, so let me try and get someone else to run. Um, so what was that process like? Well, so Andrew, it started, first of all, thanks for your, fine, your nice comments. Uh, you're right, I woke up the morning after the 2016 election uh, to the sound of my youngest daughter, who was 16 at the time, crying in her bedroom. And uh, she had just overcome Hodgkin's lymphoma. She's a gay woman. I did not know that at the time. And she was really afraid about her future. I think about the country's future. It left a really indelible mark on me as her dad. And I sat at the breakfast table that morning after the election, and I promised both of my daughters that I would do something. And as you said, flipped a district that had been Republican red for 60 years, uh, beat a guy by who had won by 14 points, beat him by 12, and now, of course, last time, won by just under 20. And my mission was to resist and defend the country from Donald Trump. And I thought after two terms or so, I'd be finished with that mission. And the fact of the matter is he's coming back. So last year, uh, July 30th, to be exact, I was on a radio show in my hometown of Minneapolis. I was asked by the host if I thought the president should run again. And I said no, because he had essentially indicated explicitly, if not implicitly, that he would not. And I was really shocked, along with just about everybody in Washington, when he decided to do it again for a lot of reasons. 
And when that happened, I started calling on others to do it because I think that is an existential threat to the country and democracy if Donald Trump wins again. And I made calls to Gretchen Whitmer, to J.B. Pritzker. I made public calls, exactly as you said, to those who were better known and had already developed national fundraising and organizational um, capacities to actually run for president. And yes, I think I'll make a fine president and I look forward to doing so. But I was not prepared at that time to run. And setting up a presidential campaign in two weeks before one launches uh, is not highly recommended, but the times beg for it. And in the absence of anybody doing it, uh, I finally determined two weeks before I announced on October 27th that someone had to, someone who had the potential to actually beat Donald Trump. And that's why I'm considering this the most principled journey of my entire life, because I really did believe, and I know how much name recognition matters, but I'll tell you, Andrew, I've come to discover something really amazing, which is when you're not well known, that means half of the country does not hate you yet. And I think that makes for a fine opportunity to actually build my brand, introduce myself, develop name recognition, uh, and get to May or June of next year when the national polls, I believe, are going to say that I will beat Donald Trump and President Biden will lose. And if anyone is paying attention, you'll know that just yesterday, President Biden finally acknowledged that there are probably 50 Democrats who could beat Donald Trump, not just him. So I think there you've got it. And that's exactly what the mission I'm on right now. And it's going really, really well. Yeah, from, from my vantage point, Dean, uh, it is madness to run uh, an 81-year-old unpopular incumbent with a 37% approval rating who is down in the swing states, <laughs> represents the status quo, easily the oldest uh, president in history uh, against someone like Donald Trump, who would be a catastrophe uh, in office. Uh, his second term would make his first term look like Sanity Central, in my opinion. His, his second term would be cataclysmic. Yeah. And you know who I have a bone to pick with? And I don't know if you feel this way, but I'll say it. Um, I, I have a real problem now with Gavin Newsom, J.B. Pritzker, Gretchen Whitmer, these other folks who clearly are gearing up for a run for the White House, but are lying in wait uh, for 2028. I mean, what the hell is going to be left for us in 2028 if Trump wins in 2024? I feel like people like that are putting their own professional interests ahead of the countries, and it makes me think of them as, frankly, unpresidential. Um, and and that's something that I feel. Uh, uh, <laughs> I, I mean, for you to say that might be a little bit harsh and rough, but uh, like I, I want to put that idea out there. Do you have any response to that? Yeah, that was my message, Andrew, that you can't wait till 2028 because we probably will not have one, at least an election that we've come to know. And that's exactly my point. You know, you got to run to the fire when your country is burning, not away from it. And I'm disappointed. I, I think they're good people. That's why I called them. I think they should have and could have joined the stage and offered their names. But I have to tell you, the one, my one defense of them is I think they knew better than I how this machine turns on anybody. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean it. And I want to be forthright. I think they know. I think that's why Gavin Newsom is doing everything but getting on the ballot, because he knows what happens if you would so much as raise your voice and have the audacity to enter your name on a Democratic primary ballot when the country needs you, he knows what the machine will do. And they're doing it to me. And I was not prepared for it. I did not expect uh, the weight, uh, the antagonism, uh, and frankly, the delusion, the delusion of a party that really should be focusing on 
debate, on competition, and participation. And instead of promoting those three things, they are literally working against it. I do think those candidates understand how this works. My only disappointment is that they're not participating in fixing it. And the best way to fix it would be to join the race. Not just one, not just two. Let's have three, four, five of us doing what you do in democracy. Look at the Republican ticket. Donald Trump is 50, 60 points ahead of everybody that was on stage there last night, right? That's not stopping them from doing it. Not stopping them. And he's not showing up to debate either. Biden's not showing up to debate. I think we have a real crisis. And I'm, I'm disappointed. I think they should have and could have. And if they're waiting till 2028, like you said, I think that shows uh, a deficiency when a country really, really needs someone. Uh, and that's exactly why I'm subjecting myself to this. And I've torpedoed my career in Congress. And that's OK, uh, because I was not willing to see the country torpedoed by Donald Trump. Indeed, man. I mean, when, when I decided to run in the last cycle, I said to myself, you know what, uh, no matter what, I'm going to be able to look in at myself in the mirror and say I did yeah. everything I could. Like, I'll be able to sleep at night. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like, like, like right. that, that's the most important test. And you should be sleeping soundly because you're definitely putting it all well, out. <laughs> I'll, sleep, uh, I'll sleep soundly. I'll sleep soundly the day after the election next November. This podcast is sponsored by ExpressVPN. A few decades ago, private citizens used to be largely that. Private. What's changed? The internet. Think about everything you've browsed, searched for, watched, or tweeted. Now imagine all that data being crawled through, collected, and aggregated by third parties into a permanent public record. Your record. Having your private life exposed for others to see was once something only celebrities worried about. But in an era where everyone is online, everyone is a public figure. To keep my data private when I go online... I turn to ExpressVPN. Do you know there are hundreds of data brokers out there whose sole business is to buy and sell our data? The worst part is you don't know what they're doing. You don't get to have your say. That's why I use ExpressVPN. Just hit one button and then your internet connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server. No one can see your IP address. You're completely in your own private internet. Every time I turn ExpressVPN on, I'm given a random IP address shared by other ExpressVPN customers. That makes it harder for third parties to track me and harvest my data. No matter what device you're on, you just hit one button and you get your own protected connection. So if, like me, you believe that your data is your business, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN on the market. Visit expressvpn.com yang and get three extra months for free. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S VPN.com slash Yang. Go to expressvpn.com slash Yang to learn more. Yeah, exactly. Because January 23rd, again, is this massive opportunity for the voters to speak um, because the voters should, like the voters see all this stuff coming. I mean, if you yeah. talk to the average person on the street and just say Joe Biden's name, like they'll, they'll shake their head and say he's too old. I mean, that, that's what 70% of Americans think. Now, now, the process you're going through right now, Dean, is a process I've been through um, and you have to do it faster than I did. It's good fun. Um, but what, what happens is at first you identify a need um, and you've identified the correct need. I mean, we're about to serve the country up to Trump again, honestly, like uh, almost really? on a silver platter. It's really embarrassing uh, that like the, the Democratic Party, in, in my opinion, is failing us all by not having a proper 
mm -hmm. uh, competition, which you are doing your best to force. And, uh, you know, I appreciate the heck out of you for it. Um, but the, the process you're going through right now is helping others imagine you as president. What is that vision? Uh, let, let's say, and by the way, I think you have a very, very real chance of becoming the next president of the United States. Uh, you know, I, I think the majority of Democrats don't want Joe. Um, the, the machinery is trying to protect Joe, yeah. but uh, as soon as the voters have their say, I think there's a very real chance that uh, they do the country a massive service <laughs> and, so. and, and say, like, you know, we need someone else in there. But it's January 2025. You get sworn in. Uh, you're the new president of the United States. Um, what is top of the list in terms of the things that you want to express or get done? Let me start with the most important, which is how I will lead. And I'm going to lead very differently. I'm going to have a team of rivals in the White House, Andrew, uh, not unlike Abraham Lincoln put together uh, in the 1860s during the worst crisis in American history to that point, the Civil War. He recognized that every American had to have their voice inside the White House. He needed to put people at that table who had different perspectives, but had to lead the country together. And I think it's time for every single future president of the United States to ensure that he or she does not just populate the White House staff and cabinet with people who all see things the same way. I think that's actually destructive to democracy and it is destroying the country. That's one. I'll also have a youth cabinet. It's time to bring young people's voices into the White House, a delegate from every one of the 50 states, all races, religions, colors, backgrounds, uh, and politics and geographies uh, to come up with great ideas about social media regulation, about uh, the future of AI, both the blessings and the curses, climate change, gun violence prevention, the things that young people are most uh, focused on for good reason and have great ideas about. I'm going to employ zero-based budgeting. I'm going to finally have every single agency of the United States federal government assessed by an outside consulting firm to identify ways to save money, deliver services better, more efficiently and effectively. And finally, the Pentagon will pass an audit. These are absolutes as the next leader. I'd be the broad, I'd have the most experience, Andrew, strangely enough, of any recent president, having built and led companies, having served as the board chair of a large health system, uh, a regent at a university, uh, board chair of a charitable foundation, a board member of a public company, and now three terms in the United States Congress, uh, a member of House Democratic Leadership, ranking member of the Middle East Subcommittee on Foreign Affairs, and also the vice ranking member of the Small Business Committee. I have very broad experience. And I will use that management experience, which very few occupants of the White House have had, to lead better. Uh, and most of all, to develop common ground. If we do not repair the country, use common sense and decency and restore faith in government, nothing I talk about right now is going to matter. So what's next? Affordability. Affordability and affordability. There is a massive disconnect between Washington and the rest of the country. It's, it's, it's staggering how desperate people are right now. Housing, if you can even find it, is unaffordable. Mortgage rates have soared. People cannot afford to buy new homes. We are seven, six and a half million units shy to meet the demand in the United States. And we have about a half a million human beings, Americans, sleeping outside every single night. Not just New York and San Francisco, up here in Manchester, New Hampshire. Veterans sleeping in the parks. It's atrocious, and we have to do a 7 million unit initiative immediately to produce housing in America. Healthcare, 66% of, of all bankruptcies in the United States are from medical debt. From medical debt in the United States of America, we spend twice as much as any developed nation in the world. 
Our outcomes are mid-pack. We allow, and I state that again, we allow pharmaceutical companies to sell their products in the United States for three, four, five times more than anywhere in the world. When I'm president, we will find a way working together to ensure that none of those companies can sell their products here for a penny more than they do in Canada, Mexico, Great Britain, France, or Japan, or Australia, period. It's not that hard. And we're going to change the delivery model from a fee-for-service to a capitation model. So we actually get away from what we call, what is really a sick care system. We don't have health care. It's a sick care system. So that's health care. And then we have education. $1.7 trillion in student debt uh, at 5% interest. That's about 80-some billion dollars a year. That's burdening families and young people who can barely get ahead. And we need tuition-free college we also need to make sure that the debt that exists right now, I believe, should be interest-free, and we should absolve the debt of any person who is willing to develop their credentials or career in something that serves the public. So these are common-sense solutions. And then groceries. You know, Andrew, I, you know, I come from the vodka business. When I was in that business, retailers were not allowed, legally, could not charge us what they call slotting fees. Those are the prices you pay to rent the shelf to put your products on the shelf. But in the grocery business, when I was in the ice cream business, not only can they charge you, all the grocery chains around the country are charging rent to the bread makers and the butter makers and the cereal makers to put your products on the shelf. So why do we have high grocery prices? Of course, it's obvious. We have too little competition and we have a system not unlike the political industrial complex, the duopoly, uh, that is literally making things more expensive than necessary. So if we don't address these things and we don't raise the foundation, uh, we are going to be in big trouble. And by the way, uh, I know you are a big fan of UBI. I'm looking at a bill right now that would do a pilot around the country because I think AI is going to almost require that we completely change the lens of U.S. capitalism if we hope to remain a democracy for many, many years to come. So those things are on my mind. Border security is on my mind. Chaos in our cities is on my mind. And probably most importantly, if we do not become a country that ensures security for every American and peace and prosperity in the United States and overseas, uh, we are not doing our jobs. And I'm just afraid the current generation of leaders from the West Bank all the way to the West Wing have got to be replaced with next generation leaders who understand what's coming, who have a different worldview, different competencies, and most of all, are ready to work together to solve problems, stop fighting each other, and start fighting for each other. That's my agenda. It's not rocket science, it's entirely common sense. This podcast is sponsored by Helix Sleep. I've always been a mattress guy because I figured if I'm gonna do something for up to eight hours, maybe I should do it right? And Helix Sleep lets you do it right by sending you one of 20 unique mattresses that's tailored for you. I took the Helix Sleep Quiz, takes only a couple minutes, and I was matched with a Helix Dawn mattress because I wanted something that felt firm and I sleep on my back. That mattress is exactly what I needed, but strangely enough, my kids now seek out that mattress in the house and want to sleep on it even though I did not order it with them in mind. If you have a high quality mattress, it is a game changer, a huge difference maker. Don't take my word for it. Helix has been awarded the number one mattress picked by GQ and Wired magazine. It is even recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors. 
of sleep medicine is a go-to solution for improving your sleep. Helix is offering up to 30% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com yang. That's helixsleep.com yang. This is their best offer yet, and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Well, I love how you're tackling the main uh, sources of misery in terms of costs. Uh, so that's housing, healthcare, and education. Uh, I, I'd imagine you have some uh, thoughts around vocational and apprenticeship oh, for the sure. folks uh, who, who aren't um, heading to college. Uh, I'm curious about your ideas on what we originally connected on, which is campaign finance reform. Yeah. One of the things that I suggest to folks, Dean, is, is some people say to me, it's like, oh, uh, Dean's a Democrat. Um, and I was a Democrat. I left the party in, in, in 2021 because I didn't think that uh, the solutions were necessarily going to come from within the party. And what I try and convey to folks is like, no, I mean, sure, Dean's been a Democrat, uh, his, his political career. Um, but Dean is actually uh, in many ways situated to be a profound change agent if he wins this thing. Uh, and, and I joke, and this is before the machine has been shiving him every day. <laughs> like he, he wasn't a fan of the machine, even when it was like, it was like totally fine with him. Um, so uh, what can we do to fix our broken, yeah. terrible campaign finance system? I'm so glad you asked because, you know, that's why I, I did this work to resist Donald Trump and to expose the truth about a system that I really do believe is starting to work against all of us, not just the left, not just the right, but the left as well. And I've been a proud Democrat my whole life. I intend to continue to be. I'm running as a Democrat for a reason. Uh, but I think I represent an extraordinary number of Democrats around the country uh, that are growing very concerned about the underpinnings of this entire party. Uh, and I believe that this is a time to make a choice and to be courageous about it. And those choices have to start with actually reformation and transparent, uh, transparency of how this party operates, which in my estimation is shockingly uh, opaque, uh, dangerous and disenfranchising. But as it relates to reform, Andrew, um, first of all, money in politics. You know, I'm the only member of the entire House and Senate, 535 people that accepts no PAC money, no lobbyist money, no member money. And I don't have a leadership PAC. I'm the only one out of 535 people, which means I find it hard to find friends and colleagues to go to dinner with in Washington on a Wednesday night because they're all going to pack dinners, getting their white envelope with the $5,000 in it, going to another event. I hate that. I'm also, I don't do call time. <laughs> I don't run across the street and dial for dollars. It's atrocious. I actually wrote a bill, Andrew, to prevent fundraising in Washington between breakfast and dinner because I see so many people in Congress spending every moment that they had free, leaving committee meetings, leaving committee meetings to go call people for money. So what's the problem with that? When Congress is spending 10,000 hours per week raising money, well, here's the problem. Who are they raising it from? Only the wealthy and the well-connected because you gotta fish where the fish are, it's natural, which means you're only hearing from, you're only congregating with really wealthy people. Of course they have expectations, especially the PACs and the lobbyists, that's their job to influence you. And we allow it. The bigger issue, I think, is this, Andrew. When you're spending all that time with people of great means, by definition, you have no time to spend with people of modest means, which is the overwhelming majority of this country. 60% living paycheck to paycheck. 40% yep. cannot afford a $400 repair. 
and 32% of the entire wealth of the United States of America is held by just 1%. So when 535 members of Congress, 534, because I don't do this, are spending all their time with really wealthy people, you're ignoring the people who really need help. So why do we think Trumpism happened? Because someone said, you know what, I get it. I'm going to give them voice. I'm going to pretend that I care about them. And I think it's time for Democrats and independents and thoughtful people in all parties to start extending invitations. But I'm a Democrat. I want to extend invitations to disenfranchised, angry people currently supporting Donald Trump to join this team, the Dean team, because I get it. I'm angry, too. I want to drain that swamp of the corruption, of the low bar for ethics. I think we need term limits. I think we need open primaries. I think we need ranked choice voting. I think we need to end gerrymandering. And I think it's time to return to some form of publicly financed campaigns so that every single candidate from Joe Biden to Donald Trump to Dean Phillips to Andrew Yang to Ron DeSantis and Chris Christie and Nikki Haley don't have to spend so much of their time appealing for resources. I think it's anti-democratic and I think it is completely undermining the very foundations of democracy. At the very least, I'll tell you, I'm going to expose the truth. I'm going to continue on this mission. And I think that is in my, in, in my entire agenda, both policy is affordability, peace, and reform. And I call it relieve, repair, and reimagine. I love it, man. That's a beautiful vision. Uh, sign me up for term limits, rank choice right. voting, uh, uh, <laughs> open primaries and everything else. Um, I've got a personal question. Let's yeah. say you do become president. <laughs> it's 2025. Uh, what would you want me to do in the administration? I've got a couple of ideas. Uh, one is commerce, where I could rewrite the rules of the economy so that they actually see how people are and families are doing as opposed to just uh, GDP growth in uh, the stock market. So that would give me a lot of joy. Um, the other would be a uh, department of technology and innovation where I could both make good things happen, but also frankly regulate some of the, um, the new developments out of AI that I fear might end up uh, being a double-edged sword at best. Uh, you know, I mean, I'm deeply concerned about those things. So, so there are people watching and listening to this who obviously would uh, in, enjoy um, either uh, of those things. Well, what do you think, Dean? Like, where, well, where do you want? Here's what I think, Andrew. I think, I think. Well, first of all, I will consider all of the best and brightest in the country, including you, and I'd be grateful uh, for your application and your participation. Let me start with that. What I think you could also do is be the UBI guy, the the UBI czar. I've got this bill right in front of me that I'm looking at right now. I think it is time that. Uh, we listen to what you are proposing. So many of your supporters believe so deeply in. I believe we should be a country that should be experimenting as much as we can right now uh, to test ideas in the same way that businesses and any enterprise, any university, any organization will test something uh, and see how it works, make some tweaks, and then roll it out nationally. Uh, the federal government has this bad habit of coming up with big ideas that they could never execute in a, in a reasonable manner. And I think what you just shared with me are two great opportunities. And also, I think UBI is another. And let, you know what? First things first, let's win the race. And then yeah, let's, no, let's ask everybody. By the way, 
this is going to be a very different administration, as you know, Andrew, because it's not going to be just a bunch of politicians who've been doing this for 50 years. This is going to be, I want to attract the very best Americans, not just Democrats, the best Americans with the best capacities to ideate, to innovate, to manage, to deliver customer service, to employ new technologies. You know, we are not attracting police departments, our military, our federal government, our U.S. Congress is no longer attracting the very best and brightest because the best and brightest are not attracted to it. And that's something we got to change. And you know, Andrew, I would love to talk to you about ways that we can work together and many others watching right now. And let's get there first because we got a big task ahead. Oh, no, I know. We've got to work it out for us. But I would love to be the UBI guy. I would love to be the anti-poverty czar. Yeah. Talk about uh, something fulfilling. I mean, uh, Also, I, I need I a common to... sense. I need a common sense czar, too. That's another role that I want to fill. Yeah, I mean, after uh, this all comes to pass, like it'll it'll be fun enlisting uh, the Dream Dean team. The Yang, the, the Yang Gang meets the Dean team, uh, like uh, the the mega powers coming together. Yeah. <laughs> so, so one of the things that um, people imagine, you know, and I, I've I've uh, been educating people about the race. I'll give you a sense of uh, my take on it. But a lot of people, um, when they they here, here's what I think has to happen. Sure. Uh, so number one is people become comfortable imagining you as president. And again, I think you would make a phenomenal president. You have the right uh, values, character, motivation. Uh, you're just going to try and solve problems and make things better for as many Americans as possible. Uh, and you're doing it out of spirit of service. I mean, your, your father, and you mentioned military veterans uh, earlier. Um, people might not know that your father died in the Vietnam War. And I know that spirit of service has been motivating you. By the way, you look just like him. I mean, I saw I a picture know. of him. Holy crap. I mean, I you know. know, like I showed Evelyn too. And she was like, it just looks like a picture of, of Dean. Um, I so I'm, I'm sure that's, you know, you must be very proud of your father. So number one is people have to get comfortable with imagining you as president. Um, and, and that there are a lot of things that go into that. Um, 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 so that's, you know, like uh, you getting in front of people and becoming more familiar with you and comfortable with you. Hopefully conversations like this help. Um, and then the next is putting up a big number um, slash winning New Hampshire. And for people who don't understand, I think this is very, very winnable and achievable Absolutely. in large part because uh, New Hampshire has never loved Joe Biden. He's no. done poorly there every time he's run. And that was before he demoted them in favor of South Carolina in mm -hmm. an act of what I thought was very, very self-serving, honestly. It's like uh, where South True. Carolina uh, voted for Joe. So he said, hey, we're going to make South Carolina first. A and even if you thought that was an OK idea, um, what became, in my mind, incredibly unfair was that New Hampshire has a law in the book saying it has to go first and Democrats don't control the state legislature. So even if the New Hampshire Democrats had said we want to do what you're saying, they literally could not do <laughs> what, 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 what the what the the DNC um, uh, was uh, asking of them, and so now New Hampshire is voting on January 23rd first, as according uh, to their law, they they should. And as punishment, the DNC has said, um, one, we might take away some or all of your delegates, and two, our candidate Joe Biden will not be on the ballot. So if you're a low information Democratic primary voter or independent in New Hampshire and you show up on January 23rd, uh, Joe Biden's name will not be there. Your name will be there. Um, there will be some other names there, but Joe Biden's name will not be there. Uh, it, it also is true that 57 percent plus 
of Democrats aren't comfortable with Joe uh, as the, the nominee. So if you put all that stuff together, if you can get the energy uh, and name recognition by January 23rd, I think you have a great chance to win in New Hampshire that day. And then if you win, there will be approximately $500 million worth of free press coming your way because the incumbent sitting president would have just lost to the quote unquote, no name, <laughs> you know, Call me anything like, you want. I don't care. Know. Yeah. Yeah. The legislator. Um, and, and then uh, millions of Americans will tune in and they'll say, oh my gosh, uh, like we have an option. I don't have to just accept this crappy Biden-Trump rematch that I felt terrible about? That's it. You just you just nailed it, Andrew. It, it, I, I think there's some really interesting poetic justice that is forthcoming in America. Only in America can this happen, where an incumbent president, along with his party, disenfranchises their very voters, by the way. This is not disenfranchising Republicans. This is Democrats disenfranchising Democrats. It's, it's preposterous. In, in the spirit of somehow winning the next election. So my message to many Democrats here is, wouldn't it be remarkable? Wouldn't it be remarkable if the strategy that they use to ensure a coronation instead, because of all of you, resulted in the very competition that the country is begging for? And that is exactly what I think is going to happen on January 23rd. Uh, it, what has happened, Andrew, not just here in New Hampshire, the state of Florida Democratic Party unilaterally decided that there does not need to be an election, that Joe Biden won the election, that didn't even happen, and all 250 delegates are gonna be going to him for the convention. North Carolina, just two days ago, same thing, decided unilaterally, a handful of people, that they would only submit one name, which means there is no Democratic primary in North Carolina. I, I don't understand how it is possible that the Democratic Party would literally suppress millions of democratic voters it is it's almost hard to conceive that i'm saying what i'm saying is true but it is and i think it's not just hypocritical it's just downright dangerous downright foolish and frankly inexcusable and to your point a lot of people aren't paying attention yet but i think they will on january 24th the day after we win new hampshire and demonstrate that the good news is that the power is still in the hands of people and I hope people come out and demonstrate that, because if they don't, not only are we going to have more of the same, we're going to have Donald Trump as the next president. And I will not stand by quietly. I promise you that. Oh, well, you're you're actually out there uh, trying to prevent it from happening, whereas other people are doing things like circumventing the vote. I mean, I, I had a joke, Dean, where I said, look, if the Democrats really don't want anyone to vote uh, in this primary, then just change your name from the Democratic Party to something more accurate. And then I, I, had, <laughs> I had some suggestions that were, I bet you, did. Um, you know, that things like uh, um, the Lemming Party, like the, the follower party, you know, I, I had some unproductive, I know you're a Democrat, so you can't really laugh. Yeah, come on, be things. nice, man. Just be nice. <laughs> but, I'm, but, hey, I'm, but, I'm frustrated, Andrew. You know, I'm frustrated because I have to make a confession. I was part of the problem. I was part of the problem. I had no idea. For years, I've been supporting Democratic candidates. For years, supporting the party. I was a, I am a member of the party. I've been a three-term member of Congress. I'm a super delegate to the Democratic National Convention based on my membership in the U.S. House of Representatives. You know, this. I've been a lifelong Democrat, and I cannot believe what I'm discovering. And I only would discover this having 
entered my name in a, as a candidate for president. And I'm afraid that's kind of part of the, I guess that's part of the strategy, I might say, that only if you do this, can you really discover what it really looks like. Only if you do this, can you really open the hood? Only if you do this, can you look inside and see how the sausage is made? And they know it's really ugly and it really stinks. And that's why they don't want many people to do it. That's why they make the hurdles so high to get on ballots, millions of dollars. Half of my time right now is spent calling states to make it through the impossibly difficult circumstances they put in front of you to simply get on the ballot in a democratic republic like the United States. They don't want us to see it. They don't want anybody to know about it. And if they can just keep it quiet and keep people off the stage, except for the ones that are part of the coronation uh, party, that they think they can hide it. Uh -uh. I'm not going to let them hide it anymore. Not going to let them hide it anymore. No matter what happens to me, no matter what this takes, no matter the endurance required uh, to bring this to light, my goodness, it'll be the biggest gift I give to this country in my entire life. And as you said, my father gave his life to the country. It's the very least I could do is expose the truth about what he gave his life for should matter more than I'm seeing right now from the Democratic Party. Oh, dude, it is so infuriating when, when you see this uh, you know, you have to uh, essentially uh, back Biden for the sake of democracy. And then uh, with the other hand, they're like, and uh, let, let's not have you vote. Yeah. Uh, you know, let, let's uh, make it so you have as little choice as possible. I mean, it, it, it's very odd um, that the approach and I will share a story that you may not know. Um, so there are various folks who uh, approached me about running for president in this cycle for the same reasons where they said, hey, we think Joe's going to lose <laughs> and, and uh, we'd, we'd like there to be better candidate. Um, would you consider it? And what I said to them, I said, look, I don't think the Dems are going to have like a fair process. Um, and I don't think I'm the right candidate to activate a fair process. What's wild about what's happening with you, Dean, is like you're a super delegate. You're a three term member of Congress. You're actually an insider. Um, uh, and, and, but by doing the principal thing, all of a sudden they're, they're acting like, who's this guy? And it's like, are you kidding? This guy was like a senior member of your club 10 seconds ago. <laughs> you know what I mean? Wow. Um, and, and so that there are various folks, you know, and, and one of the reasons why, you know, you and I were discussing like Gavin Newsom's, the, the J.B. Pritzker's, the Gretchen Whitmer's like, I, I think that if you had a figure like that, then the DNC might actually, uh, have no choice but to say, okay, like, I guess this really is like, uh, like, uh. Um, not a non-coronation, and then we're actually going to put proper um, uh, debates and other things uh, in in place. You are a much, much more of the moment figure to activate this process. Yeah. I think you are fighting for the very future of Western civilization in your race. And I think that uh, the opportunity in front of people to have real reform most people don't see it in you, Dean, but I see it clear as day. If you become our next president, I think you have a very real chance to become the transformative leader that people have been waiting for for generations. Uh, they just need to get behind you and make sure you win this thing on January 23rd in New Hampshire. So if someone wants to help you win in New Hampshire and then compete in South Carolina and then mm -hmm. head to Michigan, how can they best do so? Well, I'm, first of all, thanks for the kind words, Andrew, and, and the feelings are mutual. And if you want to help and join the Dean team, uh, dean24.com is my website, and we're building it out every single day. If you can support our effort financially with 5, 10, 15, 20 bucks, my goodness, it goes a long, long ways. And I'll tell you the most important thing, even more than treasure, 
is a little bit of time and a little bit of courage. And that means activating, advocating, and telling friends, neighbors, family, especially over the holidays coming up. It's a very, as a marketing person, believe me, I've created strategies in the, ba in the past in my professional life where we recognize the power of the, the December holidays when people return home and they're sitting at the table, they're watching TV, they're having the conversations that will be the most important ones for the 2024 election. So anybody watching and listening right now, if you might consider supporting us, telling your friends and family back home, being an advocate, uh, investing a little bit of your hard-earned money in this initiative, because it is an investment, I'd be grateful. And we're going to make it fun. We're going to make it transformative. We're going to bring joy and hope and optimism back to a country that really needs it. And I will confess, I can't do it alone. Nobody does anything alone. Anybody who tells you they do, like Donald Trump, you know they can't. But we can do this together. And I think this is so, this is so much more than a presidential race. It's not about me. It is about us. It's about a system. It's about a country. It's about a future. If you're a parent, if you're a grandparent, my goodness, the writing's on the wall about what's happening next. So please, dean24.com. And uh, let me know. Share your ideas. You know, I want to hear from you. Uh, you've shared so many with me, Andrew, UBI being one of them. Uh, there's a lot of great thinkers out there. And the joy of doing this is hearing from you and meeting you where you are. And uh, January 23rd is just going to be a beginning because I'm going to keep going and I'm going to speak for you. I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to give voice to the exhausted majority. And lastly, do not let angertainment have us believe that we are more divided than we really are. So allow me to give some space and place to restoration of America and to the repair, literally repair all of us. And it's going to be fun and it's going to be all of our legacy. So join me in using a little bit of your reservoirs of courage because we could all use it right now. I love it. I have donated to your campaign, Dean. Thank I have you. made calls on your behalf. Thank uh, you. And I'd urge anyone else who wants a real choice in 2024 to do the same thing. You know people in New Hampshire, South Carolina, Michigan, yeah. give them a call, tell your friends, anyone who complains to you about the Biden-Trump matchup, just say, oh, you know who's going to improve on that is Dean Phillips. And if someone says who, then say, look, uh, he's actually America's best chance to beat Trump and begin a new era in American politics. Dean Phillips, the man who, in my opinion, very well could be the next president of the United States, Dean24.com. Thanks, everybody.